This is this is this is the Six Prizes Six Prizes Podcast. Welcome to the Six Prizes Podcast, a podcast dedicated to discussing the competitive side of the Pokemon trading card game. Today is December 20th. This is episode 28. My name is Mike Fouché and I will be your host. Today I am joined by two lovely guests that one of them was kind of shouting out into the Twitterverse that he wanted a talk shop, so uh, we, we set it up, and here we are. Uh, we're coming off the expanded regional that just happened in Anaheim, California this past weekend. Jimmy Pendarvis took down his third regional of the season and in a row, which is an incredible feat. Um, I'll actually be having a conversation with him tomorrow, so you might be hearing this uh, as as a part of a two-part episode, or you might be hearing Jimmy's episode coming out in a couple of days. Haven't decided yet, uh, but before we get to that, I'm going to have a discussion with these two gentlemen. So we're going to talk about Expanded today, uh, both the fallout of Anaheim Regionals, kind of where the format looks right now, and then join the discussion that has been happening about what we might be able to do in order to make the format healthier, or or not, or if, or if it should just stay the same. Um, and we'll also get into some general gameplay issues uh, as well that I've kind of been thinking about. But before all that, I'm going to intro my guests, and then we're going to talk about some of the decks that they've been specializing in, or the deck that they've been specializing in, which is Lost March. So, um, he needs no introduction. He's been podcasting longer than I have, but I'll give him a chance to intro himself anyway. Kirk, Dubstacks, Dubay, what's up, man? Uh, great, great to be on. It feels nice to be uh, kind of on the other side of the desk and get, having the questions asked to me rather than slinging the questions. Um, what are the questions you normally ask your guests, like favorite decks, all that stuff? Yeah. I, I want to. I'm, I'm going to do that. You want the full experience? I, I come on, you can't. <laughs> you can't cut me off of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so usually, so usually, I ask, um, where are you from? How long you've been playing for? And yeah, what's a favorite deck or card that you got? Uh, I'm, uh, Montreal from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, relocated to Northern Kentucky. Um, I've been playing, I guess, uh, 2016 is when I kind of started going to tournaments and then, uh, 2017, 2018 was my first full competitive season. And then, uh, here we are now. I'm trying to just be uh, a voice amongst the, the gaggles of people and keep myself relevant by, as you know, right now, wearing, uh, ostentatious jackets. And, uh, you know, if you don't have skill, just make a mark some other way. So that's what I'm trying to do. Facts. And, uh, what, give us a favorite deck or a favorite card, something. I, I'm gonna have to go with, uh, favorite. I'll go favorite deck. I'll say Waylord since it got me all my points last year. Um, I'll go ahead and, and keep it keen, and it's over my shoulder right now, fra- framed up. Um, so I'll go with that. Yeah. When whenever whenever Kirk gets on a YouTube video on someone's channel, you, you got to make sure that you record with this background because it's a pretty it's a pretty cool site. I know you've posted pictures of it, but it's still cool to see. So, um, and second up. On the list, first time to the podcast is my buddy from New York, where I, I'm, I'm giving stuff away already. Is uh, Noel? What's up, man? Hey, well, tell him, First time here. It's a, it's a, it's an honor. You know, I don't really get to voice much, but uh, out here, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so, Noel, you're from New York. I've known you for a minute. Um, how long you been playing for? 
I want to say since Plasma Freeze, I actually picked up the game. Like, really, really picked up the game. And uh, it was a really, really fun time to be around, I think. Because uh, I actually would look up uh, Six Prizes articles. And I remember one of the, the first articles I saw was, uh, it was going over a Snorlax, Snorlax Plasma deck. Like, the Snorlax was just teched in with Lugia, but it was a Kyurem based mm, also. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Um, how, I actually, I, I've never asked you this, and I don't typically ask people this, but like, um, how'd you, how'd you get into the game? Ooh, so I went to Montesi, and uh, that was like the first league that I ever attended, and the people were pretty nice. Uh, I don't know if you know him, um, Tiny. Hmm. He, he's, you know, like Patrick knows him. Mm-hmm. Uh, people in the New York area know him. Uh, so Tiny, he, I left my binder at Montesi, and it was the first time I was getting into the game. So I I had a whole Blastoise deck. Everything that I could, you know, ever need to have a competitive deck was in that little binder. And uh, Tiny sort of, you know, found it. And the next week I went to Montesi, he had it. And that kind of just made me appreciate the community so if there was people like that in the community uh, I, I guess I wanted to be part of it and that's kind of how I got more sucked into the game and little by little I just kept getting more involved and that's truly how I just got into the game yeah dude that's tight so to to the listeners like I grew up in New York um, and I didn't grow up in New York City but I was always going to New York City for tournaments because where I grew up on Long Island didn't have any uh, didn't have any tournaments really so I kind of grew up with a lot of like uh, New York City guys and and I didn't know Noel until you know more recently because he got into the game a little bit later but I feel like the New York City crowd the culture has always kind of been the same like it's a pretty like I don't know it's just a really it's a really good group of people and maybe not necessarily people you'd always expect to be like playing all these card games but they're just you know they're just they're just good real people you know um, yeah so so that's cool that that's good to hear um so tell us a little bit about your uh, your your play style Noel like what what's a favorite deck or a favorite card that you've played uh, a favorite deck was uh, I want to say it's Toadbats it's yeah it's the deck that gave me the most points. Uh, limitless. <laughs> I was, uh, that play Toad, and I was one of the higher people up there, and I was like, "Ooh, this feels good." <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, Fired you, them with it. Yeah, you played Toad Bats a lot. That one what was it like two seasons ago? That's not right. Maybe three seasons ago now. Yeah, that was a crazy run. It was just Toad Bats at every tournament, dude. Except, except after, <laughs> after we played like when I got uh, second at Philly with the Asalgor Web, then you then you played Asalgor Web at a couple tournaments, <laughs> and I was like, and then I was off it, and you were like, yo, why aren't you playing this? <laughs> That's pretty funny. That they make you think. Uh, told me the uh, the Mew with Burbank, mm-hmm. uh, you would hit like the Dark Ride, and you'd make a uh, faint coming onto your turn. I don't remember if it was with the the silver bangle play. Mm-hmm. Play that I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, good decks, good decks. Toad Bass is one of my favorites too. I think it was, I think I, I think it was great. Quake and Punch is amazing, as we will discuss in a little bit. It's still amazing, you know. Whatever, five six years later, just crazy. 
Um, all right, so thank you, too, for, for joining with me. Um, I think it'll be a good show. I'm glad to have you guys here. Um, so let's kick it off with uh, the deck that you guys been spouting a little bit about on the Twitterverse, um, which is Lost March. So, Kirk, talk. Kirk, you've been streaming a lot. Talk to us a little bit about uh, how you became so infatuated with uh, with Natu and Jumpluff. So, uh, spin you spin you a yarn here back to the beginning. So, I got a bunch a bunch of Lost Thunder codes, and there were some cards I was exclusively excited to play with. And actually, you and I had a discussion on Super Rodcast about some of the cards. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, Lost March was one. Um, the Electra Power was another. Um, but I never really got to that point because I just started playing Lost March and I was streaming it and I was just having a good time with it. And the original list I had was obviously just complete booty. Um, but I made a post after one of my stream days, you know, it was probably maybe like two and a half weeks before um, Roanoke. And um, it had one, uh, one Lysander Labs and... Uh, just a couple minutes later, I just, you know, when you see on your Twitter feed, like, someone you follow follows mm-hmm. uh, Noel, and he just had a tweet literally on the same day that said, if you're not playing Lysander Labs in Lost March, you're doing it wrong. Something <laughs> to that flavor. So I immediately uh, hopped on Facebook, messaged him, was like, hey, I'm working on Lost March 2. I'm right there with you, with Labs. I think we've got the same train of mind. You want to you know, start spitballing ideas? He was like, Absolutely. Because uh, that's the kind of guy he is. And then I was, we were going back and forth. I was streaming every day, posting the list updates. Um, and then it was the weekend before uh, Roanoke, where we were having discussions whether we should be playing one or two Marshadow. Because we had gotten to the point where we agreed that that was where we should be. And then he was like, screw that. On Sunday night, he was like, it's three. I'm never <laughs> playing less than three. And I was like, okay, man, three it is. So Monday, I started streaming, and I was playing three. And I was like, okay, we've. I think we cracked the code here. Um, so that like development that Noel came up with really just kind of put me on my high horse. And then I would sh- scream it in whoever's face was listening. Um, and that's what I did. And I, I actually messaged Russ. I was like, I want to write an addendum to my article. Like th- there's new shit we got to work on. I busted that out. And then uh, the one thing that uh, Noel and he can speak to this that we didn't really get on the same page about was uh, more Orangaroo versus, versus more Orangaroo and ball line stuff that I was doing in the list I liked versus the Meg Cargo list, um, which obviously I'll, I'll let him touch on. But uh, besides that, those like core of things, those three card differences, um, really what made the deck tick was the the Marshadow uh, development that uh, Noel made and just kind of went off to the races with that. Yeah. It makes sense, and it was it was cool. It was cool to like follow along. Um, I think it's always really interesting when someone um, hooks into a deck and really just kind of just kind of runs with it. And it's kind of like there's a lot of people that play test different things all the time, and uh, like in preparation for a tournament. But it's really good to see someone just specialize in something for even you know even just for a little bit and just really like delve into what's going to be my 59th and 60th card? Because those are like, those are the sometimes the, you know, the hardest and most important decisions to make. So so I really appreciated kind of following the journey, um, seeing the different lists posted. Um, I thought it was really cool. So, no- Noel, give, a, give us some of your perspective. So, uh, 
Yeah, uh, the deck is uh, it, it's pretty degenerate, I want to say, but not as degenerate as the deck we're about to talk later on. Sure. Uh, the triple let loose idea was me just really exploiting the, the format's fault, I want to say. Uh, I, I mean that as in people were playing less lilies and more elm counts. Mm-hmm. And uh, being able to let loose your opponent into a four-card hand in this in this, the standard format we're in can make or break a game. And the reason I opted to play McCargo was to purposely let loose myself, lily back up to a big hand, and have more response more responses towards uh, my opponents. That's pretty much what the uh, the whole the whole gimmick of the deck was. Is uh, I'm not able to pump out the huge numbers right away, but as the game progresses, I'll get there. And you're working with a four or five size hand, while I have eight cards in my hand, and I'm doing more plays off of that. And uh, it, it, it's also just a body you can pitch into the uh, law zone. So if you don't necessarily need to always let loose but it's really good especially after a beacon play because they bank on that beacon play so the minute you let loose them you start throwing rng into the whole equation and uh they're just gonna they're probably gonna draw higher uh the high amount of elms uh just weird stuff like that starts to happen and not too swinging for 60 progressively into the hundreds and then 200s, it just starts getting out of control and it uh, snowballs to a point where they can't answer and you have the weenie just blowing you up. <laughs> <laughs> what did you play from a cargo? 2-1? Uh, I played a 1-1 one, one line. I played oh. a 1-1 one, one line and I really wanted a 0-1 or 1-2 line, but I felt like... Uh, I felt three Marshadow was good for the for the extra push, uh, more than the the second Oranguru and having the uh, two Shadow split with the uh, two Guru split, because uh, Guru always would just stop your hand size at three, while Marshadow would let you push up to four. So I think the extra card that I got off of Let Loose was definitely good in the long run, and I could I would still be able to push with the Oranguru that was on the bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to just smooth over cards on top and then Lily into them, uh, I was. I think that that was just more like a some like a safety uh, fallback plan for me. Just Lily always being live with McCargo was safe a safe feeling for me more than anything. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Did you play a Ditto as well or just the just the one one? Uh, no, I played the Ditto because uh, it could either branch into. The skip loom or mm-hmm. the oh, and I could get it off of Elm and uh, yeah, can go yeah. if, I, if I was like super desperate. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that, no, that makes sense. Um, so, what do we think? Like, I know we don't have a big standard format events for a while, but I'm sure there's like League Cups and whatnot. Um, what do you guys think of Lost March now? I mean, like, the only mat- bad matchup that I know for sure is like the Decidueye Orc Nine Tails deck. Like, is there anything else that's Concerning for Lost March. Um, <clears throat> so obviously that's case in point, probably the most difficult one. Um, a skilled Blacephalon player can make that matchup closer to fifty-fifty than maybe I'd care to admit. Um, and I say that in the sense that, like, 
counterintuitive. They have to lead Blacephalon and they have to GX as their first attack to start rock and rolling the prizes. And then they've got to hope that they can take another prize before we can knock it out. Mm-hmm. So you have to leverage the first Blacephalon so they can get up two prizes and then start the single prize trade war. Mm-hmm. But that, that's how they get ahead because uh, Lost March, it, it can sometimes, you know, miss the first attack because maybe you have a skip loom, right? So you start a hop if they start Blacephalon, you're going first. You pass to them, GX attack. Pass back to you, you can't take a knockout. They take a knockout. Pass back to you you might fall just short of another knockout. And if they hit that third prize, they yeah. actually have non-GX Pokemon to, yeah, right. to, 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 exactly, to audible into. Whereas other GX decks, for example, Zorg, Decidueye, Ninetales, uh, can't do that. So you actually get to the three prize range, or they do, and as long as you can take a two prize knockout before they go below three prizes, you're still live in that matchup. Mm-hmm. So um, outside of that, I pretty much take I, – I, because I've just played it so much, I just take Lost March in the dark against anything because mm-hmm. uh, I think I just know the matchups well enough now. Um, so I think it's a great a great choice for Cups if you have the reps into it. Uh, that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. Noah, what do you think? Uh, Lost March is one of those decks that is definitely high roll, but – Blacephalon, like Kirk said, is one of those matchups where they do have to lead Blacephalon. Them leading Blacephalon uh, guarantees that they can buff two hits sometimes, and the off chance that you can't, uh, you know, not to or jump left just punches Blacephalon, and it just snowballs from there. Uh, one thing I did notice people tried doing was the uh, Naganado approach, which is completely wrong because uh, Natu starts blowing up Poipos and Naganados. <laughs> Blacephalon, so it just snowballs from there. So, I, like, while Blacephalon is a really good deck, it can it can't effectively let loose you because of the high support accounts you run. So that's what they're banking on. You're gonna just throw out of it more than they are, at least in the Fort Lily build. Uh, do I think it's a good deck for for uh, challenges and cups? Mm, depends on the format they're doing. If it's a best of one or best of three, I think it thrives better in a best of three format. But people don't really like going to those. Of, like yeah, a yeah, fuck this. <laughs> spend your whole day there, and you're just announcing last March. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's better in a best of one, and just try to avoid the situation. Makes That's sense. And, he, and I will add, like, even Decidueye, because you play Let Loose, and because their deck is inherently a bunch of stage one, stage twos, like, you can just let loose them into a clunker, and you can just get far, far enough ahead, even as if that's just two knockouts before they even get their first Decidueye set up, then you can just still race. You yeah. can still close the game out on them. So, mm-hmm. like, although you're unfavored, you're not iced out. It's yeah, not, yeah, like, yeah, a yeah. complete zero percenter by any means. Right. Makes sense. Um, so kind of like starting the transition to talk about expanded, Kirk. I know you also tried a good amount of Lost March in expanded. Any any random thoughts on on that deck? Um, I I'll have to tip my cap over to uh Mr. Peter Joltik and that wild list he put up with uh the Maxi's engine in it. Um, to be quite frank, where I got with my expanded Lost March testing was kind of just a cookie cutter 
almost like a standard port with just like level ball Pokecom upgrades. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those uh, dittos that you can evolve up and mm-hmm. uh, floral path this guy. Noel told me about that. But I just I never got to a point where I felt like the deck was working the way it was supposed to. And for some reason, it just seemed less consistent and expanded than in standard, <laughs> which is which just means you're going down the wrong path. So uh, Peter Kiga's list pretty spicy. I only got to play a couple games with it, but it seemed uh, pretty strong, focused on Natu um, as the only lost marcher. And uh, I definitely think he's onto something there. And he has that list posted on his Twitter for anybody that um, wants to go check that out, at Peter Joltik, so go look at that. Um, but that's kind of just far as I got down the rabbit hole with Lost March, um, simply because my mind is on other things and expanded, but we can we can touch on that in a bit. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I just think it's a quite an interesting concept and expanded, right? Because, like, we, we just saw Vespaquin do very well this weekend. We can talk a little bit about that. Um, and Lost March is has the same idea, but it's uncounterable. And there's, you know, there's obviously some negatives to it in that your attackers that die don't end up fueling your attacks in the future, but... Um, I don't know. I, I, I do think it's worth exploring. The other card that I kind of wanted to bring up, and I don't know if you thought about it or if you knew that it exists, but there's a there's another jump luff besides the Lost March jump luff um, that is pretty good. It's like has the ability to let you like pop it back to your hand, um, which could be which could be good. I don't know. Did you think? Did you look at that at all? Yeah, so I played a couple lists with the 2-2 of the jump off you're talking about that pops back in your hand, you know, for blenders or whatever mm-hmm. to try and crank the damage output. Um, it just, I, you know, I feel like I feel if you're going down the jump off line, you need to commit to having those attackers and just play four blenders. Mm-hmm. Um, or it may be like a 3-1. I was on a 3-1 for a while, and that felt pretty good. Um but like I said, I just kind of got disenchanted with it and expanded it in like kind of like what we'll call the vanilla form, uh, which is why I think if you're going to be playing it in expanded, you want to try and go as far into the expanded waters as possible, yeah. like uh, like Kika did, and and really try and do those maxis engines, those get a Marowak on the bench, wacky stuff like that, Gallade, all that good stuff. So I definitely think he's onto something and had a much stronger. Uh, stronger nose for what would actually make uh, a splash and expanded when it comes to Lost March. Yeah, that makes sense. Do more broken stuff and less exactly. not broken stuff. Um, Noel, have you before we get into other things, um, do, do, have you thought about Lost March and Expanded at all, or not? Yeah. Well, recently, I've been testing this weird list I have. It's, a, it's like the whole Ditto engine, but I'm playing a copy of Winona. Mm-hmm. Uh, I maxed out four level ball, four net ball. And the concept behind it is you turn one Winona, you put all your diddles on the board, and what the the level balls and the net balls are to guarantee the, the hop hips. That's why there's four four um four net balls in the deck. Mm-hmm. So hop it is more important right off the bat. The uh, it, it's really like super linear. There's like nothing really special about it. It's, it's those are the only search engines that I have. Besides, so it's the uh, Winona and it's the Elm, and then there's four level, four net, and you just try to have the Dittles as placeholders. Uh, 
that's one thing. That's probably like what I'm really considering if I don't end up playing Zoro Garb for Dallas is just try to high roll with uh, Lost March because it can still like take huge knockouts. And what I've been noticing with uh, Ditto with Ditto March is you don't use all your blenders. Uh, in, in my games, I've gone floral path and all four Dittles end up in the loss off of Winona or even getting Trumpy. Like, uh, getting, getting Trumpy's out of the deck is just so huge. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I was I was going to ask you, like, why would you play Winona over just, like, Bridget? But, like, the fact that you get Trumbeak is just, that's pretty tight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what I've been uh, messing with. Uh, and another concept was using Archies and Maxis. So the the concept get a Swampert on the board and use Executes to generate huge hand sizes so that your Lost Blenders gain more value. But the problem is, uh, you know, like, you, you still need to hit the Pokemon. Uh, Blender doesn't really work well with, like, an Archie slash uh, Maxi Engine, in my opinion. Like, yeah. uh, Peter, Peter was onto something. But the problem is if you're trying to... Uh, maxi slash archies on your opening hand and you have a blender and if you have to chuck the blender uh, if you go blender into a, a random card uh, it can stop the archie turn slash maxi uh, there's just a whole bunch of things that are uh, kind of get in the way so that's why I leaned away from that build and I just went for like a really like vanilla list where it's four ditto Four four four, uh, and three not two, and you just go on, on let loose because it's still good. It works under Wobbuffet. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let loose is super good. I think yeah. that's super good in both formats. Um, cool. All right, any other last comments on Lost March between the two of you? I have w- just one more thing I'd, yeah, I'd like yeah. to say. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> people need to chill on their super boost energies. <laughs> uh, I like okay. So Noelle and I had a conversation about this like right before Roanoke, and it just feels like training wheels. And the reason I say that is, if you're if you're leveraging let loose correctly against the decks that only play one shuckle, you can grass energy onto a jump pluff or whatever let loose and then DCE the jump pluff and have the same effect more consistently than building three jump pluff and activating super boost energy since you have no way to search out super boost energy. And the argument that it is just another grass in every other situation uh, arbitrarily just isn't true because enhanced hammers are a real thing. And lastly, it's not searchable. So I've never felt like I've needed more than seven energy because the decks that are committed to more than one shuckle anyways, you're not beating with one super boost energy. Mm-hmm. You're just not. So that's one thing I want people to start thinking about when they're just punching a super boost energy into their deck for arbitrarily no reason. Like you can say it worked that one time, but did it super boost energy work or did your let loose against the single shuckle control deck work because they didn't hit enhanced hammer? Because you're effectively rolling out the same thing with more conditions attached to making that energy work. So, something to think about. Yeah. Oh, I have one last thing. Uh, play Jirachi in Expanded. 
Yes. Jirach is probably one of the best cards the deck gains in expanded format. And turning your level ball into all the diddles in your deck, all the hop-ips in the deck, is absurd. <laughs> and that's kind of what... I, it, it sucks because I, I, I don't like Lele in the deck because there's no Ultra Ball to fetch it. And, I mean, the level ball is broken by far. It's, it, you're giving up the, the two prizes, potentially, but what Jirachi offers the deck is absurd. And I I personally ordered two more full art Jirachis. Because <laughs> I'm not with it. These expanded prices are crazy. People buy doubting machines and make them $30 cards. I'm not with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right, word. Well, uh, thank you guys for giving us some good insight into Lost March. Um I appreciate it. I like Lost March. I think I don't own the cards right now, so I can't play them out of cup, but I might get the cards just so I can play them out of cup. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk. I had, uh, real quick, I yeah. owned no cards aside from the ones on the wall behind me, and once we, like, cracked the Da Vinci's code on it, like, the weekend before Roanoke of kind of what the idea, I was like, yeah, I can buy these cards. <laughs> and the whole de- the whole deck was like, Fourteen dollars yeah, or something right. ridiculous, because <laughs> uh, I actually had somebody send me jump pluffs um, from a league. Their league, they're like, "Yeah, we got forty-five of these, um, so I'll just send some to you." So that's how I got my jump pluffs and everything else was, like I said, like under twenty bucks. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's I th- go. I think I think one of my buddies runs a league. I'll have to like ask him for jump pluffs. That's a good idea. Um, all right, let's uh, let's hop into expanded talk for a little bit. So. Um, the Jinj won with Zorak Seismitoad. Uh, very similar list to what he played in Portland. Nothing too new. Giraffe Rig, Faba, Lost Zone stuff is kind of the big, the big new additions, but it's still the same kind of degenerate concept, playing a lot of broken cards, using Quaking Punch, using Lusamine to loop stuff, um, reusing the, the Fossil guy, either Archin or Lilip or Tertuga to make sure you never deck out. Um, and then like using Parallel City to make making your Seismitoad do no damage essentially it's, it's, I don't know, there's lots of ways that, that it can win, I don't want to talk too much about Zorak Seismitoad because um, like I said I'm going to have a conversation with Jimmy one on one, but if you guys have do have some comments you can, you can give them, but kind of the big story in my opinion is actually Zorak Garbodor so Zorak Garbodor made up somewhere north of 50% to maybe closer to two-thirds of the day two um, metagame, um, which is which is really an incredible percentage. Um, I don't know if we've seen such a high percentage since, like, Drampa Garb a couple years ago when uh, when Guardians Rising first came out at, at Seattle Regionals. Like, Zora Garbador totally took over um, the day two. Uh, of this tournament. Some of the other decks that were kind of expected to be popular and see success uh, were Archie's Blastoise. There was exactly two that I see on this list that made day two. Uh, there was Trevenant that was that you know did very well at Portland a couple months ago, got second, and had some other good day two placings. And from the looks of it, there's 
one, possibly two that I'm missing. So that didn't do very well either. Um, there's a couple other random decks. There's some fighting decks thrown in here, a couple of Buzz Rocks. Uh, Soso made top eight with the Lucario deck. Um, couple stall decks. There's a Whale Lord. Ross made uh, top 32 with Shocklock. Uh, there's a couple of Rayquazas. There is a random Lost March thrown in there. Uh, and then we, we saw Travis's Abomination that one of his buddies made day two with the like the septile vile plume cradley swampert <laughs> deck um and and, and then counterfeit coming in second with vespaquin flareon um so but i think i think i literally said all the day two decks so there there's a couple of zora calisopods maybe like another garbador deck as well but like that that's pretty much it so like for as diverse as expanded is, and I saw a lot of people posting that they played against like eight or nine different decks on day one, but like Zora Garbodor was like 25-ish out of 45, 25 to 30 of the day two decks. So it's not that like it, it, people might be playing different decks, but that doesn't mean they're playing good decks necessarily. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of the recap. Uh, Kirk, what are some of your thoughts on it? Um, to be quite frank, the only way I find myself having fun with Expanded is trying stuff that's just either rehashing old ideas, kind of like Vespaquin, like Connor did, or just going completely off the rails and trying to come up with something new. Um, Zorak decks are... They are what they are. We have, we have to deal with them in their current iteration. However, they are incredibly boring uh, to me. I was watching Azul play today, his Zorark Seismitoad um, uh, Ginges list, and I'd say, honestly, in about 65% of the games I watched, he took maybe one prize per game, and everything else was resource management or giraffe rig heavy control mill type strategy which i enjoy obviously because of waylord but i think there's something functionally different between waylord's capabilities as a mill deck and it can easily be hated out as opposed to something that just can easily do that and in matchups where it can't it doesn't suffer any consequences from so it's a powerful card what do you want to do like as long as Zorark is legal and DCE is legal, it's gonna keep mopping up these tournaments. There's just too many tools and expanded to to really truly knock it out of being the best deck. I think. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Noel, yeah. what what are your, some of your initial thoughts? Uh, I so it's crazy, right? I I don't think people respect Zorark as a card sometimes because the um, you know like. You can go out your own way and add in these like counters that stop the lock. You can add in uh, giraffe rig. Uh, you can add in electrode to give them prizes. <laughs> like yo, I'm out here, bro. Like I'm I'm trying to win against Zoro, so I'm gonna give you prizes and my thing. You know, like there's many things you can do, and the problem is cards like Toad say no. <laughs> oh. So here's the thing, like, Toad, Toad is, uh, the, the item lock isn't really oppressive. The output isn't oppressive. The problem is, 
uh, it, it doesn't let you function with the game. And then Zoroark is going to just keep drawing you cards. So that's why that deck is all, all over the place. And but, but, but again, it's not like the best deck, right? Because we saw Zorogar pop up, right? Mm-hmm. So, so like Zorogar can't just beat that deck. It, it, it can like record it, right? Or let loose it. Whatever, um, whatever form you have to lower their hand size, cut those options that they try to cut their strategy and then just blowing up their toad, right? That's like one thing. Um, but like expanded is all over the place. Uh, it, it, it also is just Pokemon. So you could open like a really bad hand and just draw past. But expanded is all over the place. Uh, anything is possible. And, you know, I, I think you can even high roll with like certain decks. Like, that's not to say like Vespiquin isn't a deck that, you know, like not to take anything from Vespiquin. Or, or Connor, because you know they're real—he's a really good player. But uh, I think eventually, like against like something like Zoro Control, you get clocked because they're gonna follow all your DCEs away. Mm-hmm. Uh, It—it's just a whole bunch of things you have to consider. Uh, the, the problem with expanded is some of the card pools aren't meant to interact with each other, and like it happens, like shit happens. The the card pool interaction. Literally, is happening, and that's it, it. It allows for like super degenerate things to to happen, uh, and you the, the format is just all over the place. But I, I do think like uh, going into Dallas, uh, Zoro Garb might rise in popularity, but uh, you know the the format's foul. Like I saw a lot of people like hyping up Archies. And I, I don't even think I, I was on it for a little, but then I decided to play test against the uh, Zoro. They had to do with red card view, delinquent, put their lab out, and you can't do anything. You know, like your all your options. Yeah, you can deluge, you can do all these cool things, but what are you really gonna do with one card or yeah. two cards? I think art, <laughs> like it's it's so it. I can't believe I'm gonna say this, but like Archie's. Is too fair now, like for expanded, <laughs> like which is totally insane for me to say. Like if you like go back and watch like Worlds 2015 and watch Jacob play against uh, against Mace and like just demolish him with the Archies against Toadbats. Like four, three, three and a half years later, it's saying Archies is too fair. Like red card, red card delinquent with, with Zorg is just too crazy against it yeah I, I i totally agree like sam and sam and pablo played archies at anaheim and i don't think it was a very good play um the other and while i'm talking about red card delinquent i kind of forgot about it. the other deck that made top eight that uh, i i play tested with a list that was pretty different but similar in concept um was the like the zork trap deck um, where the whole goal of it, it runs four Shaman EX, uh, and the whole goal of it is to utilize red card and delinquent and then peaking red card kind of on the first turn just to, <laughs> or, and, and Marshadow to kind of like just lock your opponent out of the game. And if they don't top deck a, a supporter on their second turn, they usually just lose. <laughs> and uh, that's, it's very, very, very frustrating to play against. 
But that's what we've been pushed to. So, right, right. you know, in my opinion, that's like what propagated this, what like expedited the evolution of expanded to something like to some undesirable bullshit that we're in right now is the fact that they banned puzzle because mm-hmm. until they banned puzzle, Zoroark players didn't have to get creative and figure out what they would do to save their resources. Right. So, and when you ban puzzle, like, so you adversely affect Zorark temporarily, but the ability stapled onto Zorark is so powerful, inherently powerful, and the fact that it has a good attack too is also obviously insane, that you can use it as your main attacker. Um, you're taking Puzzle away from all the other decks that could have positively interacted with Zorark, without the means of having those abilities through the use of puzzle. Mm -hmm. For example, and a perfect example that I'm incredibly familiar with, is Waylord. Because when Zorark decks were committed to just using puzzle, you could out-resource them by just having things that were inherently good against that deck, but now it just doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Now Zorark is the new Waylord, with the upside of also having one of the most powerful attacks available. (laughs) Yeah. So and the and the bro- most broken ability in a long time. <laughs> so yeah, like that's just what we're dealing with here. So yeah, something yeah. something that's that's my opinion on it. Like they just banned the wrong card. Right. And if you really want to open up expanded, my opinion is don't worry about DCE, just ban Zorark GX. You you can serve way more of the playable cards in expanded by just banning one, fine and standard in my opinion, and go from there. Mhm. But people, people will just scream "Get good!" I guess I don't know. Yeah, so let's, it's miser- it's miserable to play. It's objectively miserable to play. Let's talk. So let's let let's let's kind of um, play process of elimination. So let's talk about cards that have talked about being banned that we don't think would have much of an impact if they were banned. So uh, let's let's I'll back up a little bit before we start this. So like I think. I agree. I think puzzle being banned was um, unnecessary, and I think we're seeing that now. I don't think it really um, helped anything, and if anything, it hurt other decks, just as Kirk said. Um, Hex Maniac being banned, I go back and forth a little bit. I think it was a pretty limiting card in design, but I think overall it was a pretty fine card outside of um, Zorak decks because it wasted your whole supporter for the turn. Um, and I'm actually very okay with Getsis being banned. I would have, I would love to see a Getsis that couldn't be played on your first turn, but um, but because Getsis could be played on your first turn, um, I think it was too much. Um, do you guys have any other thoughts on those three before we move on? That's that's where I'm at with those. Yeah, uh, I I'm fine if like Getsis would get the errata, right? Because. Mm-hmm really like a huge advocate of the card which is get this lab <laughs> and then you you just win from there sometimes yeah right exactly it was, yeah. it was too much that it was too much in turn one like i remember sitting next to igor um during one of the regionals last year and like both games one and three on turn one he just gets this his opponent for seven cards and he's just like he's laughing but he's saying sorry and like <laughs> like his opponent yeah. was like i don't know what can you do, man? Uh, it's expanded. But anyway, yeah, so I think we're... Okay, so we agree on that. So let's talk about cards that um, people have talked about that could be banned. 
but we don't think should be banned. So my like my primary one that I go to a lot is execute. I think people like way 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 too much hype up if execute is being banned. Like I don't think that would change literally anything about Zork being a good card. Um, because I mean, like you even look like the, the the Giratina that just came out in Lost Thunder would just immediately replace it as like a in the Skyfield versions, you would just play like two Giratina to get back um, the guy f- to, to have bench sitters. Um, and other Zoric decks that don't care as much about having a bench sitter, they have plenty of cards that they can ditch and not really worry about it, especially if they're playing double Lusamine. So uh, I think Execute Ban would serve absolutely zero purpose and very similar to Puzzle, would hurt other decks such as like Archies and... Um, other like battle compressor esque decks that uh, want to have that ability to, to kind of reuse. Um, I don't know. Do you guys want to talk about execute, or do you have other cards that you think would um, not serve any purpose if they were banned? So execute. I mean, the the proof is in the pudding with execute. When have we talked about execute before Zorark existed? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then that's pretty much the end of the conversation. Yeah. Like the issue isn't execute. The issue is Zorark. And the fact and to your point, the fact that you can remove execute from the equation and very easily find a not as good but suitable replacement. Mm-hmm. Like we're just done here. You know, like it's I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I, there was a point where I was like, ooh, you know, like eggs could get hit. So I, I did go out my way to sell them. <laughs> But, I mean, uh, I feel stupid right now because, like, the card didn't get hit. But, yeah, like Kirk said, you know, the the, the whole problem here is literally Zorark and, and that it can abuse it the best, but other decks use it, like RG Stories. Um, yeah, that's probably it at the moment that's competitive. That even stands a chance to try to go and combat Zoro. Like, mm-hmm. that's how the card is that other decks can try to use it effect- as effectively and still not be as good as the, the, the main deck using it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, like yeah, back yeah. to the point real quick. Yeah. They banned Puzzle and they banned Hex Maniac. All the decks that were doing good against Zorark decks needed those cards to be able to beat Zorark decks. Yeah. And here's Zorark still standing on top, but now you just have another subset of decks that got neutered, so... Like, are we going to talk about the real issue, or are we just going to keep have? You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand what people's uh, excitement is over keeping Zorark when it's just that miserable to play against. I don't know. Play so, with and against. There's no way people are having fun doing that shit. <laughs> Crazy. You can print a silver bullet, and I don't think any silver bullet would uh, would cut Zoro out of the equation. I think Zoro decks can adapt to Silver Bullets and or use them to beat other Zoro decks. I, I, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think someone posted on Twitter like a, a make-believe card, right? It was um, it was like one of those Uxie cards, right? They're like, if this card's on the board, dark Pokemon don't have abilities. Well, what if I just make a muck and I still... <laughs> that's my thing. Like, I'm going to run laps around you, and you just <laughs> me. And, and you know what I'm going to do on top of that? I'm going to play my own copy to beat opposing Zoro. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, and that's kind of like what happened with Faba, right? Like Faba, people are like, oh, okay, you can run Zork out of DC now. And then Zork's like, nah, I'm just going to play Faba and beat you. <laughs> yeah, I think Peter posted that. Peter was like, oh, you can Faba loop uh, Zoro. And I'm like, cool. Well, Zoro's going to Faba loop you. <laughs> the only deck that can Faba loop is Zork because it draws so many damn cards every turn. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Um, so, so one thing that uh, we were, we talked about briefly before we started recording is Robin Schultz just came out with a blog post just a couple hours um, before we started, and basically he says, and I think we agree, and Kirk said it before, that Zork's fine and standard. I think we can all agree with that. Um, and Robin's point basically is that the reason that Zork is so broken and expanded is because of Skyfield, and it allows um, Zork to not just be like a two-hit KO Pokemon that can, you know, Ace roll itself up, which is still very good, um, but that it can also be a one-hit KO, or, you know, hitting for 180, 210 damage with a choice band, um, and that's kind of what pushes it over the edge and expand it from being a, a very good card to being, like, the best card by a lot. Um, and although we don't see Skyfield in uh, Jimmy's, you know, Seismitoad Zorg deck, um, Skyfield is the card that has made essentially every other Zorg variant um, be find success, or at least it's been in every other successful Zorg deck. Um, so what do you what do you what do you guys think of that? Um, could we could we ban Skyfield and keep Zorg? Would that would that be okay? Uh, so if you do that, you still just have what Jimmy Pendarvis played, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. There you go. Okay, you ban Skyfield. Cool. All those people are now just going to pivot back to the deck that won. Like, with... mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, sure. Rough life. Like banning Skyfield serves no purpose. Like the deck that's doing all these. Things is literally just like a toad deck having Zoro as an engine, just running you out of the game eventually. <laughs> like banning Skyfield will do nothing. I don't think so. And and if they do ban Skyfield, cool. I still have um, that's that stadium that lets dark Pokemon hit harder. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna use Zoro as a, a a deck that can cap out at like 190, which is just as fine. Yeah, I, I would have killed uh, opposing Zoros, but I'm, I'm going to do high damage regardless mm-hmm. with uh, and all these other cool cards that can be used. Yeah, because you could, you could still play Kukui, you can play the Stadium, Shady, you can play, you can play what, Giratina. What's that? What did you say? What's that card from Plasma Blast? The, the, oh, Iris? Yeah, you can use that for mm-hmm. the mirror just to blow up other Zoros. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's so many tools that Zoro can use that haven't been explored that if if you take away something from Zoro, it it can still find a way to adapt. And that's the thing. Pokemon made a card that can adapt to any scenario that gets presented to it. And that's what is part over the edge and expanded, in my opinion. I mean, y'all are going to kill me. I'm going to sound like a broken record. But you ban Skyfield... Zorak still survives as one of the best decks, and you neutered another set of decks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, it, that's true. I think <clears throat> so. I sent. I, I was talking to Rukan about um, about this the other day, <clears throat> and here's ki- here's kind of my summary of Zork. It was like Zork is the strongest um, card, or and and so I'm talking about it both with its ability and its attack, but mostly its ability. Um, it's the strongest uh, draw ability that we've seen in a long time in that it's stackable and it gets better as it stacks. So as opposed to something like Macargo or even something like, uh, I know you guys didn't play them, but there was a really, really, really great Claydol um, oh. a long time ago. Its ability was uh, you can put two cards from your hand on the bottom of your deck and then draw up to six cards. So um, Claydol is insanely good, um, but Zorak is better because it gets better as you have more of them. And Claydol, like, you know, you you never wanted more than two Claydol out. Like, even two Claydol was a lot because, you know, you drop to six and then, you know, you drop two more cards, you draw two. You know, it's not that, it's not that much better. So it gets better as it stacks, um, while every other ability gets worse as it stacks, more or less. Um, it's versatile in that it can be the main attacker or the secondary attacker. It's the cheapest in that it's only a stage one. Um, <clears throat> compared to something like Swampert, which is a stage two. And it's the most consistent um, in that it's powerful throughout a whole game and not just one turn. So something like Shaman or Tapu Lele, um, you know, that has a very powerful effect, but it happens one time. Um, and so I think just like the combination of all of those things um, makes it insane. <laughs> that is exactly right, Mikey. Yeah. You pretty much ran it down from start to finish. Yeah. Um, like, and from that, is the fact that it takes your hand size from the, the limits from 6 to 5, uh, it breaks that hand, and it gives you too many options. <clears throat> mm-hmm. The thing that makes Zoro ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so for, for a different reason... For different reasons, I think Lusamine is has also been a card. Uh, Lusamine and Oranguru have also been talked about as cards, like suspect cards, just because they're like they're kind of like infinite cards. Um, so let's let let let's step away from Zorak itself for a little bit, and maybe we can. I know it's a little hard, but let's try and separate Lusamine and Oranguru from Zorak. Like obviously, the combination of Zorak and Lusamine and Oranguru is like extremely degenerate, but. Let's try and just talk about Lusamine and Oranguru kind of like uh, separately. Um, do we think those types of cards are healthy for the game? In a game that really is has a lot to do with resource management. Not to be punny with Oranguru's attack name. So, in, in tandem, so... It's the... It's the supporting cast that those cards get that what is what makes them seem ridiculous. Um, again, like resource management, it wouldn't be that big of a deal to buy back resources if you weren't inherently able to free roll every card from your deck into your hand and exactly dispatch whatever plan you need to keep that alive to gain the advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, because to be quite fair, hitting a resource management with 40 cards left in your deck, unable to draw supporter and then trade three times, 
it, it's just it becomes a lot less sexy. Yep. Um, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with each one when you take them out of context of Zorark. Lusamine, you can make an argument um, because it doesn't really propagate good gameplay, but I think Orangaroo is definitely fine. Um, Attack-based resource conservation, I think, is perfectly fine. My opinion. Uh, no, that's you. I was having a conversation with uh, my friend Edwin, and uh, he thinks that infinite loops shouldn't exist in the game. Uh, you know, I kind of agree. Like, we can go back all the way to uh, to trump card format, right? Where Toad, Toad trump card was the best deck. Mm-hmm. And you keep cycling these cards. Like, you keep cycling Crushing Hammer. Uh, you keep cycling Super Scoop Up. You had a Toad who would never, ever die. And you would just keep doing this. And, and it would get frustrating, which is kind of what's happening now. But Lusamine sort of, on its on its own, Lusamine can only get more degenerate as more sets come out because it, it gives it more of a pool to work with. Mm-hmm. And because th- that's the failure of the Dakar design is that you're going to keep... Uh, the, the game revolves around supporters and you're going to keep making supporters. So Lusamine only gets better as uh, time goes on. And that's kind of one of the... that That's the fault in Lusamine that it can do that and we try to compensate for losing engine. For example, like Versus Seeker. What did we do? We uh, we started using Palpads, uh, Lusamines. We we had to find a way to redo this whole Versus Seeker engine. So what did we do? Uh, we end up making a Lusamine loop, and that's kind of that's kind of the problem in the design of the card, is that it creates an infinite loop. And you never run out of resources, and the point is to be skillful with your resources, right? But when Lusamine just says, no, you can do this endless amount of times, it's ridiculous. But uh, I can see also why Oranguru uh, would be banned or, or on the list. And it, it all comes down to Pokemon's, one of their winning condition is, you, you, when you can't draw a card, you lose. And if they try to avoid that, you know, like that, Lusamine and Guru don't let that happen. So they're make they're taking a win condition, but at the same time, if you hit a Ranguru, you're gonna allow all these mill decks to run through you. And that's kind of what Russ uh, exploited in that in that regional where he got top eight. Is he exploited the power of uh, a Ranguru and being able to outplay other. Um, other Zoroark decks and running them out of uh, resources. And he was, you know, like, he's brilliant for that. You know, shout outs to him. He was one of the first people to actually exploit that card. Yeah. And people now <laughs> do it too much. And <laughs> it's Pokemon's fault. Like, you, you pumped out too many good cards and your game only consists of more supporter cards to eventually come out. So Lusamine can only get stronger. In my opinion, yeah, problem. Yeah, I agree. I, I I think I more agree with Lusamine um, than Oranguru. I think Lusamine is kind of like a long term problem, um, and I think Oranguru kind of like kind of like Kirk was saying. Like, there's a lot there's a lot more drawback I think with using Oranguru. Is that like it's a, it takes an energy, it takes an attack. Um, you have to put the guy active, 
Um, and so, like, if you're not pretty much guaranteed to see those three cards the next turn, then it's pretty bad. Like, we saw... It's, it's not too dissimilar from Bunnelby from Primal Clash, and that was out for you know, two or three years before it saw basically any play. Um, and the only reason it saw a play is because it, it, like, it ended up in, you know, in decks like Whalelord. Um, and the only reason that Oranger, I think, is seeing play is because of Zork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah. like Oranger is literally not played in any other deck. Yeah. Standalone cards, they do conflict with the game's design. So I can see why that becomes an issue, but the problem is Zoroark, but like I said, as standalone cards, they're, I, I can see why they break the game's rules, yeah, and yeah, yeah. that's what everyone tries to abuse regardless, there's always, someone's always going to try to find a way to legally break the game's rules, whether it's Archie's, um, drawing multiple cards with Zoroark, um, I mean, that's yeah. just not yeah, I mean, and that's how that's how the game plays, right? Like in general, like your the best cards are the ones that that's that's kind of how I explain the game to people that are starting to get into it competitively. Is that you know good cards do break the rules. Um, mm -hmm. It's just like how far do you want to go? You know, like like Malamar breaks the rules, right? You know, you attach an extra energy per turn, um, but like how far? Like that's not going too far, you know, like. How yeah. big? How big is the advantage that that you're getting? Um, and it's kind of like how many rules are you breaking every turn? If, are you breaking one rule a turn? All right, you're probably fine. Are you breaking five rules per turn? All right, that's when it starts to get a little dicey, right? Because like a Zorak deck right now goes can go, you know, red card, countercatcher, delinquent, and enhance hammer, parallel city, or parallel city then delinquent. And and then Quaking Punch, and now you've broken like eight rules <laughs> all at once. You're playing like eight supporter cards. Um, you're 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 limiting your opponent's hand. You're saying they can't play these cards next turn, and uh, and they're like knocked out or something. Like yeah, so I think yeah, I think I think I think breaking the rules is a good analogy, and it's but it's like the quantity of them. There's a quote of amount of rules you can break is pretty much what we're getting at. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Zorg's doing too many. Um, so I, I think so I think we agree that like uh, I used I used to say that DCE was was a really good card to be banned, um, but now I don't think so. Now I think it's I think Zorg I think Skyfield could be like considerable, but. I don't know. Like, Rukan's argument for Zork not being really the problem was that, okay, then they could just print, like, another draw card, like, draw-powered Pokemon that is similar, and, like, you're still going to have problem cards like Red Card, Delinquent, Parallel. But, like, as I kind of said before, like, Zork's in a league of its own. Oh, definitely. I mean, like, think about it. Slurpuff was a card that existed. And was played a lot. <laughs> like... Peter Peter played a Toad Toad Puff. A, a lot of people play Toad Puff, and that was just as close as you can get to now. Yeah. <laughs> in in that time, of yeah. course. So those of you those of you that don't know what Slurpuff did, it was uh, stage one ability. If it was on your bench, uh, just draw one card from your deck, and if it was your active Pokemon, you got to draw two cards. 
Um, so generally you get like two or three slurp buffs out. You draw like, you know, one card for each. And when a seismitoad either got knocked out or you would super scoop up it, then you'd get the extra benefit of an extra card. Um, so you would draw through your deck fairly quickly, but like the difference between one and two every turn from multiple guys is like that's a really really big difference um and you're and you're not thinning your deck out like i i don't think people realize that like trade discarding a card is like actively good 90 percent of the time and that's also part of the reason why i think like execute ban would not do anything because most of the time like discarding execute is actually wrong and you actually want to be discarding other cards well, that's the thing, especially in a game like Pokemon where you don't have, like, in Magic, a sideboard, and you're forced to tech in, for certain matchups, singleton cards, the ability to no longer ever see those again in the matchups you don't need it, at the net benefit of drawing two more cards, is pretty excellent. And that's why people prioritize, like, intelligent, like, intelligently using Battle Compressor before Zorark, right? And you want to make sure that, okay, maybe your first Battle Compressor you used to uh, forge your game plan. Your second one is maybe a combination of your game plan and then getting like one of supporters out of your deck mm-hmm. and 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 then using those to make your deck essentially come down, make yourself end proof, right? It's what we yeah. always talk about. Yeah, right, make right. sure that when you're end to one or two, you have the highest probability of getting the card you actually need. Yeah. And Zor- Zorak just does that. Yeah. <laughs> not not that that's like the most busted like thing about it, but it's just another thing. That you can throw onto its resume of how good it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's crazy? Zoro decks have battle compressor. Right, exactly. <laughs> like in battle compressor, battle when I when battle compressor came out, like I was like, this is this is one of the most broken cards ever made, and it is. It is one of the most broken cards ever made, <laughs> and Zorg, yeah, Zorg inherently has four battle compressors, twenty battle compressors <laughs> in in the deck. Which is which is crazy. All right, I think I think we uh, I think we've talked enough about um, bands and stuff. Um, so let, let's wrap that up. Um, so we'll, one one last thing that I kind of want to talk about that I mentioned to these guys a couple days ago. Um, I was thinking about this recently. Um, I'm gonna actually be teaching some of my classes how to play Hearthstone in the spring semester um, because we're going to talk about probability and we're going to talk about just like sequencing of um, you know logical steps and whatnot so I've kind of been thinking about different just general gameplay things both in Hearthstone and in Pokemon and games in general Um, and I had a I had a lead I went to a league cup last week I played Gardevoir I did really poorly Um, but I had a really interesting game um, and it got me thinking about one thing that uh, I kind of wanted to talk about, see if these guys had similar experiences. Uh, I was playing Gardevoir, and I was playing against a Gramble. And I had, I had like, a, a, an okay start. It wasn't unplayable, but it wasn't, wasn't great. Um, I could pretty much only get one stage two out at a time. Um, and so I kind of opted to go for a Solgaleo first, um, because I thought, you know, at the time I was thinking, I hadn't played this matchup before, like, so so I was kind of thinking on the fly. I was like, all right, so I can get a, the, the Solgaleo out because um, uh, it, it cheaply takes prizes uh, against Gramble. It gives me a little bit of time to set up some other stage twos. Um, and so that's what I did. And it, 
ended up being a really close game. I got the Solgaleo out, but then, like, I didn't get a Gardevoir out until the Solgaleo died, and I was able to get another one. As soon as I got the Gardevoir up, I was able to kill a, a Gramble, and we kept going back and forth trading, um, and I ended up losing by one prize. Um, and I was, like, after the match, you know, it was a really good game, and so I really like thinking about games afterward and be like, okay, what could I have done differently? And I was going through the different steps, and I was like, man, I really, like, the line of play that I chose, it was, like, I executed it perfectly. What I wanted to do, I did it correctly. I Guzman McCargo up. I killed it when I when I needed to. She got a little lucky, you know. Um, you know, she's abstriked into things um, where she was able to, you know, she McCargoed for one thing and strike it into it and then you know hit the either the energy or the ultra ball so she was able to thin her hand down but you know I, I still felt like I could have done something differently and th I think what I realized is that I chose from like turn two or turn three I chose the wrong line of play um, I should have gone for a Gardevoir in the early game actually um, which might have been a little bit slower, and I might have missed the first knockout on a Gramble because maybe I wouldn't have drawn into um, the the extra energy that I would have needed to take the one shot on Gramble. But I think that risk was worth taking because um, later on in the game, if I get a Solgaleo out, I have more draw potentially because I have more time to get Swampert out, and I can get the max potions. And so... Having Solgaleo out with Max Potions is much better than trying to kill Grambles with Gardevoir and then using Max Potions, um, because Gardevoir needs four energy to kill a Gramble, while Solgaleo, all I need to do is replace the double colorless energy on it. Um, so later in the game, it would have given me the ability, the opportunity, to uh, utilize the two Max Potions that were in my deck um, to kind of trade more favorably with Gramble as the, as the game went on. And so um, I just thought that kind of got me thinking about just in general, there's, there's different types of misplays when you play games, when you play a game like Pokemon. You can, you can make like technical misplays, which I think most people are, are com or, um, familiar with. And I didn't make any technical misplays during that match. But what I made, I, like, I chose the wrong line of play almost from the get-go. And I think that is a, uh, a type of mistake that people don't realize that they do early on, um, depending on the matchup that you're playing against. Um, something as simple as um, benching Sudowoodo in the wrong matchup can uh, can just lose you the game because you're thinking like, uh, oh, they're a Zorak deck. I need to bench the Sudowoodo to limit their output their damage output, but it's actually a Zork control deck, and now you just lost the game because they're going to counter-capture that Sudowoodo up and uh, just run you out of resources. So um, I just thought that was really, it was really interesting for me to reflect on. Um, and I, I have I have, a, I have another story that I, that I could go with, but uh, I kind of want to see if you guys have any um, similar tales that you can think of. From your own experience. So, oh, 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 go ahead, Noah. Oh, all right, cool, cool. Um, so there was this one matchup where my friend Cody flips over a Zerua. No, no, he flips over a Rockruff. Boom. He flips over a Rockruff, and I'm like, okay, cool. I'm playing Ultra Necro. Uh, he's probably playing Buzzball, so it's safe 
the bench this Dawn Wings. Then that probably just two more cards because I'm gonna attach to it off of a Lily, right? Because I was playing uh, Buzzwall, so he's probably playing Buzzwall. Go go about my regular turn, couple inks, and then he benches a Pseudo Wudo, and then he goes Netball, uh, Netball, and puts a Zorua, and I'm like, ooh, I fucking lost. <laughs> And that that's like a huge like um that's like a crazy example of like fucking up from the beginning you know it, it happens can't do much about it uh but uh i think one one great example i guess would be my the matchup uh that i come out in on stream against uh, uh the ultra necro dude right uh <laughs> I, I got curious enough and I watched Azul's video. And I think uh, at the moment, I thought those were the correct plays, right? But then I see him saying, well, you should have attached to the Mars Shadow, uh, prepared to, you know, pivot into the Natu. And the, the way I go about it was, my, my line of thought was, if I attach to this Natu, the worst case scenario that can happen is he kills my Mars Shadow. And uh, I, I, I like preparing for the worst-case scenarios uh, more than trying to, um, I guess, do my game plan. Because if I feel like had the Mars Shadow got killed, then my play was correct. Hmm. If it didn't get killed, then obviously my play was wrong. Uh, one of the suggestions he did was, uh, he suggested I discard a Guzma instead of the Energy. And uh, I think, while at the moment that seems more correct, I think the uh, as the game draws out, I think that's inevitably the wrong play because uh, the amount of Guzmas I play. So I, I value specific resources more than other resources because while there's only seven energies in Lost March, I only need three specific attachments to kill three specific GXs. So I I remember reading something where you how are how are you going to take your six prizes, right? Mm-hmm. Like game plan to taking the six prizes, well, three attachments. <laughs> and that's just like to put Lost March really simple is three attachments should be three GX knockouts or six attachments should be um six non-GX knockouts. And I like preparing for worst-case scenarios where um, my opponent hits everything, but then there's also the scenarios where I hit everything. And pacing myself, I think, is what one thing. Um, sometimes I overcompensate for certain plays, and they do bite me, but I think I'd rather do that than later down the game I don't have the, the option of using my my Guzma because I pitched it turn one um, I I do think that his review on my uh, on my video was good although some some things I could have done better and I appreciate videos like that because they do that they do help you in certain um, things like analyzing your gameplays uh, I, I think I could have played it better, but I mean, last March, uh, I stole the game, game three. Uh, I did what the deck did, 
but uh, I, I do think that I think of more of the long game than the short game. Uh, but that's my approach. And it's not to say it's the correct approach. It's just what works for me. It might not work for everyone, but that's just something that uh, I suggest people to, to mess around with. Is Do you want to have an early game to where they have an OLA game, or do you want to pace yourself so that you have a, a guaranteed late game? And that's how I approach matchups. Yeah, um, that, that, that's good advice to kind of like think about the two differences. And, um, you know, they're not always in contention with each other, but sometimes they are kind of like in a situation like that, like on the first or second turn where you got to like decide on an ultra ball discard. Um, I also, I also agree. I think like the, like the, the, the review videos that Adul and other people might do, if nothing else, they're good to see someone else's perspective. Um, and it's also cool to see because like top players might not agree that, you know, one line of play is optimal. And like, obviously like one, is but like it's impossible to really determine which one is and that i think that's part of the reason that a lot of us are drawn to a game like pokemon where it's not like chess where you can 100 percent every single time determine what the optimal line is there's there's some you know probabilistic nature to it um that uh you know that gives us choice and gives us power um yeah and that that's what I find very endearing about the game. Um, and that that great players can can disagree and have different opinions on what's good, what's bad, what's the correct play here, what's the correct play there. So um, yeah. so I'm glad that you brought that up. That's a good point. Um, Kirk, to you, man. So I don't have a specific example, but I will use my personal experience within the game to touch on exactly what um, Noel was talking about. And I think a perfect example with the two people you have on this podcast is how we built those last four cards in the Lost March deck. Mm. And I say that with Cargo allows you to plan for the long game. Quite simply, it does, right? It pulls mm. the resource you need to the top that you need in that moment and allows you. I built my deck with the max amount of Ultra Balls, maximum amount of Lost Blenders, more Orangaroos to go as hard as possible in the front end. And in the back end, you literally just want cards you can empty out of your hand to Orangaroo and hope you hit what you need. Mm -hmm. Like the play style, although it's the same deck, the play style is inherently different with those key choices. Mm -hmm. So obviously that is the play style I select because it makes you have to plan arguably a lot less in the front end sure mm -hmm. but it's built like that and that's fine to, to everybody to each their own mm -hmm. um follow-up point to that is the deck behind me waylord waylord is exclusively made a deck that you know there's obviously decision points at the end of the spectrum but it is a deck that plays to exactly what is happening on the field in that time and you can follow that decision tree. If there's an energy on board, flare, grunter, enhanced hammer. If there's no energy on board, is it time to handiwork or is it time to uh, skull grunt? If you're convinced they don't have any energy in hand, then start loosening loop. Like you can go through those that you can easily find your way through that decision path um, without too many concerns. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
you don't have to plan ahead. You don't have to make a decision turn two that might affect you turn 20. Now, I'm not saying that won't happen. I'm just saying it's a deck that inherently mitigates that. And as you can tell, the two decks that uh, you can attribute to me with minor levels of success are two that don't have to need the planning on the front end. I can just do that on the back end. Mm -hmm. And that's to Noel's point of understanding the type of player you are, understanding what your skill set is, because unrefined skill set is the reason why Waylord was such a great choice for me. Because I didn't have to understand everything. I just had to understand what was happening in that moment. So correct me if I'm wrong, I, this thought just popped in, into my mind. Um, from what I know, Magic is a game that plays much more from the board than it does from the deck as opposed to Pokemon. Um, like more from your hand and the board than it does from your deck because there's less draw, there's less search. Um, so it, do you think that has something to do with like that play style a little bit coming over from Magic? Uh, maybe it is. Maybe it does. Maybe it's uh, my inexperience. Um, I think there's a lot of things that play into that. But you're right. In Magic, you just see historically a much smaller percentage of your deck per game, um, which means why you have a sideboard so your tech cards aren't just sitting in your main deck because, you know, you can't find the one-ofs like you can in Pokemon. Um, So other considerations like that. But... Maybe maybe that does play into it. I can't speak. I haven't actually considered that, uh, mm. but it makes a lot of sense now that you verbalized it in front of me. Mm. Um, but I think it, it's also, because I played Magic so long, no, it doesn't help me with my Pokemon translated skills, but at least helps me understand what kind of player I am overall. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why I was able to succeed, you know, of some very moderate level of success in my first competitive season. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's it, it just I, I kind of just thought of it as well because like as I've started to play Hearthstone more and more competitively, something that like I've had to get I've had to get used to is that you know there is basically z- close to zero search in Hearthstone, and so a typical game you might not see the bottom ten to fifteen cards of your deck, and so uh, when you so in Hearthstone. For those listeners that don't know, you can only have 10 cards in your hand. So if you draw a card when you have 10 cards in your hand, it gets burned, essentially. It just goes to the discard, and you never get to see it again. Um, but uh, something that a lot of the you know, the more experienced and pro players, they say, well, like, burning a card is essentially it being the bottom card in your deck. Like, you weren't going to see it anyway. And so that's something that I've really had to um, get over because, like, in Pokemon, that's very, very, very different. If a card gets, you know, discarded, um, you know, if someone, like, trick shovels a card from the top of your deck and that card goes to the discard pile, like, it's in the discard pile and now you don't get to play it and you probably, you know, there's a very, very, very high percentage that you would have been able to play it sometime during the game. Um, so I think it's interesting the how different game dynamics um, might affect how you just approach the game in general. Um, to get in a little bit off topic, oh, my, a little bit. Noel, what's up? Like, uh, so, like, I started playing Dragon Ball. Yeah. And uh, that's a, for me, that was a really weird game, right? Because you, you start off with uh, eight life, right? Mm-hmm. And you want to, there's this thing called awakening, right? That's when you, with specific characters, reach a specific uh, amount of life 
And on the awakened side, they get to draw cards. So there's decks that play as stall and don't let you awaken. And then there's cards that obviously look bad on paper because they they nuke your life, but you get closer to awakening. And so one thing I noticed in Dragon Ball, transitioning into like flip-flopping between Dragon Ball and Pokemon is usually having a bigger hand size means it's more threatening, right? So when I started playing Dragon Ball, I didn't acknowledge how important it was to uh, generate huge hand sizes because huge, obviously more hand size means that I get to respond with more plays. And uh, I think that's kind of the approach that I've been trying to uh, transition into my current deck building is, I mean, people can take this advice if they want or just throw it out the window, but uh, <laughs> having huge hands, even in Pokemon, while it might not be uh, as menacing, uh, having those options is still good. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I play like, I play the generative decks even in Dragon Ball. Like, there's this card, when you go into it, uh, you, you cheat out seven energy on, on three energy, and you drop your opponent's hand from whatever they had to three. And they can't do anything about it. Uh, I mean, it, it's just interesting to see how, like, one game affects the other mindset, like Dragon Ball and Pokemon, and how they share similar... Um, gameplay but not exactly the the same and uh, I don't know I just thought it was something I had I had to throw in because yeah, you know yeah, yeah. It, it, I think it's solid advice and if someone can take anything out of it then you know I feel like I did my part <laughs> yeah yeah for sure for sure no thank you for sharing um so I'm gonna I'm gonna end kind of this segment with one other story and then we're let's get out of here because we've been talking for a minute um so this is one of my favorite stories in Pokemon. Um, I had a really good friend who doesn't really play anymore. He did come back actually a couple seasons ago and win a regional. Um, his name was Sebastian Crema, um, also known as Grandma Joner. He won uh, Portland regionals or Seattle regionals with Groudon like two seasons ago. Um, but that was like the first time he played in like five years, which is really funny. Um, but anyway, so back in like 2008, 2009, there was a Gengar um, card. It had the ability, there's been similar abilities, but, um, when you knocked it out, they your opponent flipped a coin. If heads, your the attacking Pokemon was knocked out. If tails, nothing. It was fainting spell. Um, and so Gengar was a pretty good card in general. It had some pretty good attacks. Um, but, and the ability was kind of just a nice addition. Uh, and a lot of decks could play around the ability pretty well because basically every single deck played Uxie, which was uh, Shaman EX's ability, draw up to seven, or draw up to seven cards. But Uxie had an attack for a colorless energy. It did 20 and put it to the uh, bottom of your deck. So if you killed the Gengar with Uxie, then they wouldn't get the Feigning Spell flip because Uxie would go to the bottom of the deck before... Uh, the feigning spell effect would would occur. Um, so a lot of decks would you know they would do you know 90, 100 damage to the Gengar and then finish it off with Uxi. And Gengar wasn't super aggressive, um, so a lot of deck, a lot of like the faster decks um, could could do that with with no problem. Um, but uh, so Sebastian was playing at a tournament. He was playing a Flygon deck. Flygon was uh, much slower, and 
he got into a position against a Gengar deck. The Gengar deck got up on prizes. It was going to win if it if if it just kind of kept trading down. Um, if it got like one heads on a feigning spell, um, if if Sebastian flipped into it, the game was going to be over. But Sebastian recognized that if he tried to two shot the Gengar and use Uxi to do it, he was going to lose anyway. Like, didn't even matter if he, like, avoided the feigning spell flips. If he did it, he was going to lose. So you know what he did? He was like, all right, fuck it. We're going to, we're just going to hit into it. If he flips heads, I'm going to lose the game. But if he flips tails, I got a shot. And so he does that two or three times, just hits in the Gengar. He flips tails a couple times, and Sebastian wins the game. And so sometimes there's just times where, you, you know, you have an ideal plan in your head of what you got to do. Mm-hmm. But you gotta you gotta take a slightly different line because you know that you know you're you you're gonna lose if you if you go with what you're you're trying to do. Um, so oh. I, I I always refer back to that story because I think it's a really I think it really hits a good point. No, were you gonna say something? Yeah, uh, so that that's that's a pretty cool story because you know it reminds me of the game that you and me played mm. when um when when I was playing Toadbats and you were playing Excelgore. Mm-hmm. It put me in a situation where I, uh, I think I, I had to end myself into the perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to flip. Um, I had to flip heads to to take a quad prize knockout. <laughs> and I I don't think people realize that sometimes you have to do these like really really bad plays that look on paper to try to squeeze out um, games. And it, it's funny because um, uh, the, the owner from Next Level, uh, Henry, he says, he, he said one time out loud, he's like, you, you know, you look really stupid if the uh, plan didn't work, but you look like a genius if it ended up working. Right. And uh, I think that's just really important for people to take in if they made it to this portion, <laughs> that, you know, it, it's sometimes the most um, weird plays nets you the win. And that's honestly, that's probably one of my favorite games because I, it, it although I squeezed out a tie against you, it, I, 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 it's fucked up because, you know, I had to do what I had to do that on that turn. But um, just letting it all like on a coin flip was just like crazy. <laughs> I mean, and that's what it is, right? We like, like I said, we're playing a game of probabilities. So, like, just maximizing your overall probability of winning, even though like it might seem like the individual um, actions have low probabilities, if your overall probability of winning goes up with a certain line of play, that's what you should be doing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, cool. All right, um, I'm gonna give you guys opportunity to do some shout outs anything you want to plug do that and then let's let's boogie on out of here uh kirk what you got uh just follow me on uh pretty much everything uh d-o-o-b-s-n-a-x that's doob snacks um hopefully i'll get to jump out to some tournaments and actually play live i'm kind of getting the itch of shuffling real cards instead of just clicking around on a computer screen um but i should be at some of the march regionals fingers crossed that's kind of my plan right now to to make my incredibly lukewarm return nice 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 Noel, what you got uh so um you know follow me on twitter at uh at noel ski ski uh if you want to see uh 
me complain about stuff or <laughs> fall out sometimes here and there. Do that. Um, and, oh, you know, like, uh, I want to plug uh, Edwin Lopez. He's doing this uh, dollar Patreon thing where he pumps out his thoughts and puts them on paper. And uh, he took inspiration off of Matthew Combs, which I think was really cool. That uh, He's a really successful, uh, he's really smart in Dragon Ball. And to see that in Pokemon right now, I think is also cool. Because he's pumping out like really like uh, amazing content. And it's only a dollar also. And I, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a weird approach, but uh, it's, it's a cool one. So shout outs to Edwin and uh, shout outs to you, Mikey. Uh, for allowing me the opportunity to be on on an episode, you know, I, like uh, I don't really get much uh, spotlight, and the fact that you and Kirk uh, gave me the opportunity really means a lot. So there's that. So we'll go follow the Super Rod podcast and the Six Prizes podcast whenever you guys get a chance. Hell Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Definitely uh, myself. I forgot to to do the shout outs. Uh, um, I do want to show a shout out uh, to Jeff Saran, who's uh, cooked up some some pretty fun expanded heat in that coffins last the coffee coffee gag. How do you actually pronounce that? That of course. Uh, mad shout outs to the to. Uh, I guess, I guess if we're going off of a, a, a science analogy, uh, Noel being in the lab as Doc Brown and letting me Marty McFly around with his uh, with his good ideas. So we'll we'll, we'll call it that. And then uh, obviously shout out to you, Mikey, for uh, let me jump onto uh, into your neck of the woods and uh, and do the thing for you. So genuinely appreciate that too. Yeah, of course, of course. And thank you too for being here. I like it's great to have people to talk to and just kind of shoot the shit about Pokemon. I don't play as much as I used to as well, so it's good to just good to just talk. Um, so we'll pro- I'll probably do uh, one or two episodes um, before Dallas. I'm actually going to Dallas. It'll be my first regional in a minute, so um, that'll be pretty fun. Uh, so look out for that. Um, if you want to support the podcast, you can subscribe to Six Prizes Underground. If you would like a promo code, I believe it's 10% off. You can use the word podcast um, to get 10% off. And, uh, and yeah, if you don't have money to support, always can leave a rating or a comment. Super sweet if you do that. Um, and if you're still listening, you are really the man or the woman. Um, so peace out from us three, and we'll see you soon. Thanks. Deuces.